This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from experts across the U.S. Ringler Associates, celebrating 35 years of successfully helping injured people and their families. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and your host here on Ringler Radio. And very excited about our subject today, which is the mediation process. Uh, We're going to have a two-part series on mediation, and this will be part one, where we're going to get a first-hand account of how the mediation process is employed to resolve all kinds of disputes. And we'll also spotlight the role of the mediator and look at basic mediation concepts. And to help us do that, I'd like to introduce my co-host for today, my Ringler colleague from New York City, Carmela Limangeli. Mela is an associate in our New York City office with over 17 years of experience in structured settlements. She specializes in high exposure cases, including medical malpractice, product liability, trucking accidents, and a lot of other catastrophic injury claims. Welcome, Mela. Hi, Larry. Sounds like you're busy. I am busy. <laughs> Terrific. Well, our special guest today is attorney Mark Bunham. Mark is a certified mediator and arbitrator and an attorney licensed to practice in the courts of both New York and the U.S. He's a mediator attorney, an accountant, a professional liability disputes, and uh, real estate disputes, all kinds of disputes, Mark. You've been doing it uh, for quite a while, and you also were involved in, I, I understand, the World Trade Center property loss recovery uh, mediations. So it's uh, quite a big uh, list of experience that you have, and uh, we'd like to welcome you here to Ringle Radio today. Thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure and uh, an honor to be part of a program with Ringler Associates. I've done mediations with uh, Ringler people, and uh, they are first rate. Well, that's nice to hear. Well, let's start off, Mark. Uh, tell us about the current trends with regard to mediation in, uh, in the area of litigation and settlements these days. Well, the use of mediation is growing regionally. Uh, some states mandate uh, mediation for civil cases. For example, California, Florida, Texas, New Jersey... Those states uh, going through mediation in a civil case is a ticket uh, to get to the courthouse, so it's required. Other states uh, strongly encourage it. Uh, Even states that uh, do not uh, mandate mediation, uh, litigators uh, do not live in a cocoon, and they know that mediation works. For example, uh, 60 to 65 percent of court-ordered mediation cases settle during mediation. Mm-hmm. In non-court-ordered mediations, where the parties voluntarily go into mediation, 90 to 95 percent of those settle uh, in mediation. Well, Less than 1 percent of cases go through mediation and ultimately go to verdict. So even if the mediation itself doesn't result in a settlement, uh, there will be a settlement before verdict because the party's eyes have been opened. Well, it does, doesn't it stand to reason that when you have mutual agreement to mediate, you're probably going to have that higher percentage. I, 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 we've all been involved in the court order mediation, which tends to be a little more cursory. But, but when, oh. people are, when people are really you know, galvanized to do it, thing, good things happen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when uh, people voluntarily come to mediation, and we here at Case Closure are mostly handling voluntary mediations, 
the case is 50% settled before people walk in the door. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just by signing a mediation contract uh, and agreeing to pay for mediation, uh, the case is 50% settled. So my job is then getting the other 50% settled. But they're in the right frame of mind. Uh, Another trend that uh, is interesting is that up until recently, with the current economic crisis, it was defendants that were pushing mediation. They did not want cases going to juries, especially insurance companies. Yeah, they were afraid of these runaway verdicts. Mm-hmm. Now plaintiffs are pushing mediation. Uh, the defendants uh, may not have available cash to settle or may want to hold on to the money longer for business reasons. Plaintiffs, on the other hand, are fearful that juries will punish them by awarding less due to the economic situation. $500,000, for example, seems like more money today to a jury than it did two or three years ago. So the economic situation uh, is affecting it. Uh, Also, another trend and something that's coming up and we're going to speak about later is the Toyota situation. Mm -hmm. That is uh, mushrooming and uh, it's going to create a big boom for mediation. Well, I also suspect that uh, during the crisis, the economic crisis, some plaintiffs probably wondered whether the insurance carriers are going to still be around to pay. And so they were trying to hurry that process up. And also just... You know, a lot of them want to have money in their pocket because they need to pay their own bills and move their own life along. So they may be more willing to to come to some meeting to try to get a resolution. Oh, absolutely. Well, Mark, let me ask you, uh, by the way, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mark. How do you strip away the advocacy part of the lawyers representing both sides? Well, it's very important to work with the lawyers before mediation day to get them in the right frame of mind. They must be retrained in a sense uh, that mediation is not a courtroom. There's no jury there. Their advocacy uh, has to be geared to a different audience. For the plaintiff in a case where there is an insurance company that is going to pay, they have to give the insurer a reason to pay and to pay more than they want to pay. Where there's no insurance company, uh, they have to gear their pitch, uh, the plaintiffs do, to uh, in-house or outside counsel and show them what the vulnerabilities are in a calm, non-hostile way. It's important for plaintiffs themselves to tell their story. That's something we stress in their own words uh, in the opening session. The insurance company and the defendant's attorneys need to hear this and need to assess how this person, this plaintiff, will come off on the stand at trial. How will a jury be swayed by this person's testimony? How long do you usually allow for that process to give the plaintiff uh, their platform to speak on? It's limitless. It's the most important part of the mediation. Really? Yeah. And so uh, the opening session, if you will, where we encourage the plaintiff to speak, uh, there's no time limit. There's no cap on that. It's important uh, for the plaintiff to vent uh, in terms of their own psychological need, and it's important for the uh, other side to hear what the plaintiff has to say. A powerful plaintiff's opening statement is a valuable tool later on in caucuses uh, when we go into the caucus phase. Uh, it's important that the plaintiffs themselves, uh, because they are the best uh, salespeople of their own cases, and they're the ones uh, who need to lay it out on the table, so to say. Well, let, let's take a minute to follow up on what Mella just asked you uh, about the opening opening session. Uh, you know, we've all run into mediators who oftentimes say they don't appreciate the opening session. They, they, they think it's better to just split up and start negotiating from the get-go, uh, whereas other times the defendants want to be involved in that opening session. 
to express perhaps for the first time to the plaintiff and him or herself the, some of the shortcomings of the case. So right. what are those feelings about how important that opening session are? Because I know there's probably two, two or three points of view. Well, uh, I teach mediation, and uh, I stress the importance of the opening session. Uh, I am a big proponent of it, and uh, I love to uh, encourage plaintiffs to speak at it. Uh, as I said, I work with plaintiffs' attorneys prior to the mediation to tell them to get their client prepared uh, to make a speech, and uh, because you never know where it's going to lead to, mm-hmm. and you never know what they're going to say uh, in terms of the case. And I've been in mediations where there was a very weak case uh, on paper. And I walked into the mediation myself thinking this plaintiff has no case at all. And then the plaintiff would make a speech, certainly in an employment discrimination case. And it totally turned the situation around. So I very, very much uh, encourage long opening sessions and if the opening sessions result in, uh, after each side has made a speech, the parties starting to talk to each other, that's priceless. Uh, that, that's what mediation is all about. And then it cuts down on the caucus time. Well, ultimately, though, your job is to try to bring these two sides together. Correct. Uh, once, once this opening session takes place and the parties split up, uh, that's when your work really begins. How do you bring these sides together? What's, what's the methodology you use to really make that happen? Well, the first thing is, uh, as I said, the venting in the opening session is and is very important uh, to let the emotions out and to have the plaintiff uh, feel that they've uh, been vindicated in a way just by saying what they're feeling. And that's important uh, to, for the defendants to hear. There's a rule in mediation called BATNA. Uh, what is the best alternative to a negotiated agreement? And that's something uh, that we follow very strongly uh, at case closure. So once we go into caucus, uh, we say to the parties, we're now in caucus. This is confidential. We're going to take a piece of paper. Uh, It's going to have three columns on it. And we're going to talk about, in case we don't settle, what is the best alternative to the settlement? What's going to happen in this case if the case doesn't settle? And we In column number one, we make a list of all the things that are going to happen in the case on a step-by-step basis. I take each side through the points of what will happen in the case from today forward if they don't settle. We list the depositions that will take place. We list the expert reports that will take place. We list the motions that will be briefed and argued, possible motion appeals in certain states, the trial process picking a jury, walking step-by-step through the trial, who's going to testify, then the appeals. Then we take that list and we go to the second column. And in the second column, we put how long it's going to take time-wise for each of these events to occur from today forward. What is the time frame through the appellate process? Then the third column is we list the cost figures next to each element. <clears throat> how much will it cost <clears throat> excuse me how much will it cost you in attorney's fees from today forward to go through the deposition phase the motion phase the trial phase the appellate phase now for a plaintiff the attorney may be on a contingency but the plaintiff still has expert costs and transfer, sure. transcript costs and things like that the defendants really are taken by this sheet of paper with the three columns on on costs and time 
And it's a very methodical process. And once you're through that, it really does strip away uh, the predispositions against settlement. And uh, it shows the parties that settlement is so much more beneficial than continuing with the litigation process. Another process we go through is what's called risk analysis. We weigh the strengths uh, on a percentage basis of the likelihood of success. What success will mean? And then by assigning probability percentages to success, apply that to a dollar figure. Then you discount that by the cost of getting there and by time and the time to get there. In a case involving one or two sides who have a business, uh, you assign a percentage of the cost of taking away time from the business to devote to the litigation. These are ways to bring the two sides to the point where they realize that coming together is really in their interest. Do you ever find that uh, people push back on this process? Does, does sometimes the ego of a certain attorney say, we don't want to get into that, I'll, I'll figure that out myself? Is that, is that ever happened when you're, when you're doing that? No, that's something that we work on before we get there. So you, you, try, to, you try to fight that all the way. Well, yes, yes. Yeah. When they walk into the room on mediation day, uh, they they uh, they know that they have to leave their egos at the front door. Sure. Um, the other thing I want to stress is that the key, one of the key ways to get there that is of interest to your listeners is the use of structured settlements. Structured settlements uh, in cases where they're used and can be used, I call it the cement mixture. Uh, it's what makes the brick sticks to the wall. It's the enabling device. I think Mella and I have seen that uh, time and time again, right, yes. Mella? Yes. How does a structured settlement professional help you do that? Explain what we bring to the table or what you feel we bring to the table. Well, Mella, a structured settlement broker is, in essence, a co-mediator. A good structured settlement broker is an activist and creative, and uh, they are pushing the people to resolution at the mediation. Resolution is what makes me, as a mediator, succeed. And that's the definition of success uh, for a structured settlement broker. Uh, when you are, for example, when you're in a plane, an airplane, sometimes you have a very hard landing and everyone bounces and you can feel it. And sometimes there's a nice, smooth, calm landing, and that is what you want. And a structured settlement broker enables the smooth landing. The structured settlement product is a win-win for both sides. The defendant insurance company loves it because it can result in a settlement for less money out of pocket, and it has financial benefits to the carrier. For the plaintiff, they are getting more money in the long run, frequently tailored to address specific long-term needs at set points in time with growth that has tremendous tax benefits. A structured settlement broker, at the end of the day, makes the settlement happen and is more appreciated, and rightfully so, than the mediator. Take take this analogy. Mm -hmm. If you cut a piece of paper in half, and you want to put it back together, you need glue or scotch tape. The mediator can take the two pieces of paper, which are far apart on the, on the table, and put them side by side. But they're still two separate pieces of paper. The structured settlement broker is the scotch tape. They can bind them. Uh, if you have your product in your pocket, you can make it happen. The mediator doesn't have the product to make it happen. Well, Mel, I haven't heard us described as scotch tape or I, glue, but I like that. I, I like that. I'm going to start carrying it around with me. Good karma. <laughs> exactly. We'll do a we'll do a little demonstration. You know, uh, one of the Mark, one of the issues really important to the process is what people call neutrality, the neutrality of the mediator, and certainly we as structured settlement brokers 
kind of sit in that third chair as well. We're, we're, we're somewhat neutral in the process, even though we're brought in often by uh, one side or the other. Uh, how important is that neutrality uh, to the process and to the resolution of the case? Well, it's very uh, important. I uh, treat the settlement process when there's a structured settlement broker involved as two neutrals in the room. Uh, we both have the same client, which is resolution. Uh, and when a good and qualified structured settlement broker comes into a mediation, I feel like I have an ally and uh, someone I can work with. And I do. I meet with the structured settlement broker before the mediation. Uh, I try to get the mediation to the point as quickly as possible where I'm taking the structured settlement broker into caucuses uh, for both sides. Presumably, the structured settlement broker is brought by the defendant, but yet I'm going to say to the plaintiff pretty quickly, I need to bring the structured settlement broker in here. They're an ally, they're neutral, uh, and they're going to help you. So uh, it, it's crucial to me to have a good, active, structured settlement broker. You know, those are, those are that's music to our ears. You know, we, we oftentimes, unfortunately, go into mediations where we suggest that process to take place, where we suggest it would be a great idea for the mediator to take us in to help explain and, and move the ball along on a structured settlement. And some mediators are reluctant to do that. Haven't you found that, Mella? Absolutely. And also sometimes even um, the defense side is reluctant to bring the person in the room. They feel that if they bring the structured settlement broker to the table, the plaintiffs will think, wow, there must be a lot of money, rather than say, we have a certain amount of money and we need to utilize every dollar and stretch it as best we can. Have you um, have you found any plaintiff or defense attorneys who um, have said those things to you? I uh, I encourage the plaintiffs and defendants' attorneys uh, to let me use the structured settlement broker. I say that they're here. Uh, they have a wealth of knowledge. They have products that can make this happen. They have the scotch tape, if you will, that can make this happen. And we need all need to work together. Uh, to see what can be developed. And while I am simply a mediator and trying to bring people together, uh, I don't have the product that can make it happen. And so let me bring the structured settlement in. And I've not really had resistance to that. Well, I think what I think what we all have to do is try to get a lot of these other mediators to your seminars. That, that's what we need to do. <laughs> so they'll learn your process and, uh, and take it to the next level, because I think that would be a big help to getting these cases resolved. A lot of it's uh, just in terms of education and explanation. And uh, and t- to be able to go in that other room with you and be treated as a neutral at the same time uh, would be a huge plus for the, for the process. Well, let's take a quick break right now, and we'll be back in a minute with attorney Mark Bunham and Mella Limongelli from our Ringler, New York office. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for 35 years. Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network, produced by broadcast professionals. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in the settling of physical injury claims. Experience counts. 
Over 23 billion in structures benefiting 166,000 injured individuals and their families. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. We invite you to listen to other shows on the Legal Talk Network. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you joined us today. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and joined by my colleague, Mela Limongelli from New York City, and our guest, special guest, actually, Mark Bunum, who's uh, just steeped in the whole process of mediation. Well, Mark, talk about basic mediation concepts. What should our audience really know about the basics? The basics are, uh, one, uh, a mediation has to have good preparation. The mediator needs to be prepared. They need to get briefs, learn the facts. Uh, there need to be pre-mediation meetings and conferences. Two, the mediator has to have the quality of being able to sit and listen. Uh, let people speak. Get everyone's view out on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, the mediator has to be aware that there's no clock. Time is irrelevant. People uh, come to a mediation uh, with a mindset that they're going to leave by X time uh, doesn't work. Uh, The process inherently takes time to work. We talk about the three Ps, patience, perseverance, and persistence. Uh, This is crucial in a mediation. A mediator is is like a tour guide. You have to take people to the right sites. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do not know where they want to go or how to get there, but a mediator leads the way. Uh, During the course of a mediation, it should become clear to the mediator what the vulnerabilities are and the outlines of a possible deal. This happens sometimes uh, in the afternoon of the first day, usually. Uh, With a structured settlement broker and the mediator working together, they have to start nudging the parties in the direction uh, of a settlement. You know, what's interesting to me is and I'm sure Mella feels the same way, is any time you schedule a two-day mediation, nothing ever happens till the second day. Uh, anytime you, you, you create a, a mediation with a long time frame in it, uh, typically things stumble along until the, you know, the nitty-gritty of the last few hours. How do you, how do you try to push things a, a lot sooner in the process so we don't have to take that uh, end-of-the-day rush? Well... The end of the day rush is inevitable, Mm -hmm. but I try to schedule, unless the number of parties is enormous, I try to schedule a one-day mediation. I agree. Now, I recently uh, did one where there were seven parties, and we did schedule a two-day mediation. And I would say three-quarters of the first day was spent in opening session. Right. So uh, it would be unfair to schedule a a one-day mediation in that instance because I wouldn't have the opportunity 
to caucus with all the different parties. Mm -hmm. And there were a multiplicity of issues. Not only was it a plaintiff defendant, there were insurers, there were coverage issues, there were multiple insurers, each one had their own issue. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit more complex. But in a standard case, uh, you try to uh, bifurcate the issues up front and do as much as you can in one day. Great. Well, Mark, without naming names, can you walk us through the process with a specific example? Sure. Um, your, your typical, maybe your last mediation, something you did a month ago. Well, let's take a construction accident case because that would be of interest to your uh, mm-hmm. audience. Uh, due to preparation, uh, the mediator should understand what the party's demands are uh, prior to the mediation. Uh, the mediator and I do uh, should talk to the structured settlement broker before and make them a partner before, and let the parties know that they are going to be a partner before. Uh, on mediation day, um, we, we're all prepared, and we have some plans in mind, and uh, we have some knowledge of the case. Uh, during the mediation, after the opening, I would meet with the plaintiff uh, and lay out their needs and get them involved in the process, because they're thinking about settlement. That's why they're there and get them to understand how a settlement is far more able to address their needs now than going forward with litigation. And that's what we did in the specific construction accident case. We have to make sure that they understand what a structured settlement can do for them and given their needs and how it can provide money at critical junctures, how it involves tax-free growth. Usually a defendant understands their vulnerability, and in this particular case they did, Uh, there's an injured plaintiff, they're going to pay money. Uh, It's a construction accident case. In New York, we call it a 240. It's strict liability. Uh, Many times there are multiple defendants with different policies, and it's an allocation issue. But when you have an allocation issue, it's better to settle with the plaintiff first, see if you can come to an agreement with a structure, and then work out allocation later on. That's the second half of the mediation. In fact, you can almost tell the plaintiff to leave at that point in time. What we have to do is sell the team concepts to defendants. So there's multiple defendants. Even though there are multiple defendants, even though they have different interests, we're going to settle this as a team. Different plaintiffs obviously uh, have different interests and different needs depending on their own family situation, need for medical care, uh, need for family care. Uh, that's that's where the structure comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day... Uh, the day of the settlement, we have to address those needs uh, in caucus. Uh, we have to give the plaintiff the assurance that they will be taken care of and that the money will flow quickly. The plaintiff's attorney has to be feel comfortable in terms of receipt of their legal fees, and uh, those have to be paid quickly. Plaintiff's attorneys are always concerned with getting their legal fees, how much they're going to get, and how quickly they're going to get it. Uh, defendants will usually wind up paying more than they intended to pay before they walked into the room, but that's part of the process. Uh, The mediator works on that aspect uh, with the defendant's attorney before the mediation. Uh, The right people from the insurance company need to be there. I've done mediations uh, in construction cases and other cases where the insurance people had to go out of the room and make phone calls. That's not productive. It, It wastes time. It gives the plaintiffs the feeling that the defendant is not serious about settling the case. The right people have to be there with the right amount of authority. They don't have to spend all their authority, but they have to be able to spend a lot of it if they need to. The structured settlement broker uh, 
goes with me back and forth between the plaintiff and defendant uh, and uh, cooperates in, in helping settle the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's crucial to the resolution of the construction accident. Well, you know, it's, uh, I think more, of, more people would benefit from the process you've described today than almost any other process I can think of. Uh, and I think we've all been there when uh, someone without the proper authority has to call back to the home office, and it's so easy for that person sitting back at the desk, away from all the, you know, the drama, to to simply say no, and right. um, it, it hurts the process. So I, I, I commend you for that, uh, absolutely. Right. I, I've had a number of situations, Larry, where people had to call uh, insurance authority uh, colleagues. Uh, in Europe, mm-hmm. and it's 5 p.m. Uh, in the mediation. And what do you do? You have to break for another day because they well, can't reach the people well, normally in Europe. Well, normally those folks in Europe are still drinking at the pub, so you can <laughs> probably reach them. Well, listen, before we wrap up, Mark, what have you found to be the most critical issues that at the end of the day tend to st- stumble along and st- stop the settlement from happening? What, what are some of the two or three key things you've found uh, don't allow the settlement to take place? Well, what doesn't allow the settlement to take place uh, is people's intransigence or uh, a lack of caring uh, by the defendants uh, in terms of the plaintiff's injuries and uh, an unwillingness to participate meaningfully in the settlement process. However, I must say that since uh, I said at the beginning of this program, that 90 to 95% of the cases settle, it's, it's very rare. People come into the settlement process and uh, do participate. And sooner or later, it may not happen on day one, it may not happen on day two, but persistence and perseverance uh, will not allow the settlement process to fall apart. Even if we need to reconvene a few weeks later to allow the parties to digest some of the ideas in the interim, um, and I meet privately with the people in between those few weeks. We mm-hmm. do readjourn, we do reconvene, and we do eventually get to a settlement. Um, the plaintiffs' attorneys uh, have to become very involved. They have to see that the dollars they're concerned about are there and will be paid. And the defendants uh, have to be made excited about the process of getting money uh, years before they would in the trial process. I mean, the plaintiffs do. And mm-hmm. the plaintiff's needs have to be met. Uh, and for the defendants, uh, it's a matter of getting the case off the books and getting the case settled and wrapped up. Um, one of the ways we do that is through the structured settlement, use mm-hmm. of the structured settlement. The structured settlement is a Christmas tree. Uh, well, it, now we're a Christmas tree, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> with scotch tape and a Christmas tree. That's scotch not tape bad. and a Christmas tree. It has as many, other, many uh, lights and many uh, goodies on it. And it's a matter of uh, picking the best ones that are appropriate for the case. So uh, between getting the plaintiff excited about the structured settlement, using the structured settlement product, and the defendant being able to put a case behind them and wrapping it up and moving on, uh, these are the elements that make it work. Well, you know, and as you've said so well, that typically at these mediations, the defendant ends up paying a little more than they anticipated, and the plaintiff ends up taking a little less than they expected and uh, everybody goes away maybe a little disappointed, but with a settlement in hand. And uh, Exactly. And, it, and it's worth avoiding um, years and years and years of litigation. 
Terrific. It takes uh, six, seven, eight years in New York to bring a case to trial. Terrific. Well, Mark, if our listeners want more information about how to reach you, uh, how would they do that? They could go to my website, www.caseclosure.com, or email me at bunim, B-U-N-I-M, at caseclosure.com. Great. And, wh- and t- exactly where in New York do you typically hold your mediations? If the plaintiffs or defendants want them at their offices, we'll do them at their so offices. So you'll, you'll go wherever it takes? We'll go wherever it takes. Uh, I have a facility here in my office, which is located right near the New York Public Library in Midtown. Mm-hmm. and uh, Or we'll go to the defendant's office or uh, the plaintiff's office. It doesn't matter. Terrific. And Mella, how would someone get a hold of you if they wanted to do that? Well, um, you can go to the Ringler website and uh, go on to the New York uh or you can email me at C-L-I-M-O-N-G-E-L-L-I at ringlerassociates.com. Well, that's terrific. And, uh, of course, all of you out there can reach any of our Ringler Associates at ringlerassociates.com. And you can certainly download all of these uh, Ringler radio shows by going to ringlerassociates.com or from the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. Uh, you can actually uh, download them to your iPod walk around the park or near the public library in New York even, at Bryant Park there, Mark. And listen, and listen to this show as you're uh, having a sandwich. That's pretty cool. Well, everybody out there, I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, now go out and have a great day. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio in its sixth year on Legal Talk Network with over a half a million listeners. Ringler Associates, where experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in physical injury claims. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Prudential.